And welcome to the 368th episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that's here to help you climb mountains of product to find your precious. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering finance, collection management, and speculation. I am your host, James Chilcott, aka at MTG Critic on Twitter. My co host, as always, is Cliff Daigle, at Word of Commander on Twitter. And we're here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Hello, everybody. As always, I'm looking forward to diving into a week full of cool things that happened. But before we do, I want to remind everyone that this show is produced by mtgprice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Please sign up today at mtgprice.com to plan your specs, chat on an amazing Discord, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff, Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool, nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering, singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5 during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. Cliff, my brother, what is on the agenda this week? Well, we're going to lead off by talking about the Metagame Week in Review. We've got a Paper Modern event to talk about and a Pioneer Challenge online. We're going to go over in segment two the top movers online and in paper. Uh, there's uh, some themes going on. Segment four, four has some cards to watch, which has uh, you and I making some choices about good places to buy some cards. And finally, we're going to talk about what we've learned. Uh, it was a stream, right, about Lord of the Rings. And then we also got some information about just how rare a one-of-one one ring is. And all the other rings, consequently. Yeah, so, who really cares about the rings of dwarves and men and elves when there is one precious out there? Well, I guess we'll uh, talk that through as we get a little deeper in the cast. Kicking things off, we've got the metagame week in review. We're going to first take a look at a big paper modern tournament. I think it was over 400 players at the Hunter Burton Memorial, uh, which I believe is an annual tournament. It was taken down by Mono White Hammer. We have Rakdos Scam in second, Jun Creativity in third, Blue White Control in fourth, Black Green Yogmoth in fifth, Mono Green Tron in seventh, and the most notable uh, odd duck out appearances have to be Belcher in sixth, which shows up here and there uh, throughout the year, and then Hardened Scales, which also is a sometime participant in top eights in the online challenges. Flagging this one because they've got some new cards from the last year or so that have made their way into the list. Uh, Four Patchwork Automaton, which is an uncommon out of Neon Dynasty. Four Zabaz, which is a bulk rare out of Modern Horizons 2. And two Mirax, which is a rare land out of All Will Be One. Mirax makes the, uh, yeah, it makes the Frexian Might tokens. There's a lot of lands in, uh, in, all will be one that I had to go back and make sure about which was which, you know. I do love the Zabaz tech where uh, it used to be you had some kooky way to start a combo, like a shrapnel blast or whatever, but now Zabaz is just red destroy target artifact you control and start the madness. Uh, when you've got the Ozolith and Hardened Scales and Ravager plus Patchwork Automaton, you're just going crazy, and I love it. 
Over in the Pioneer Challenge this Saturday, March 18th, we had Grease Fang in first and second, Black Red Midrange in third and eighth. We had Mono Green in fourth and sixth, Green Red Aggro in fifth, and Red White Prowess in seventh. Nothing uh, super disruptive in either of these tournaments, but both still displaying the diversity that has defined the most recent era of both formats. Yep, we got a chance at bannings. Uh, Legacy ban was three weeks ago, two weeks ago, something like that. And yep. uh, they left everything alone, and this is an indicator of why. There's no one best deck, at least until we get uh, Lord of the Rings in June to mess with Modern some more. True enough. Top paper movers of the week, we've got Contagion Engine. This is the secret layer printing going 28 to 38. I've been selling plenty of the original foils lately. I've still got a small stack of those to work through from earlier tracks of base specs, I would imagine. We have Mirex Extended Arts based on that hardened scales play in modern foils going $350 to $5, 43% gains there. My Cloud Shredder Sliver pick from last week, the Secret Layer uh, Foil Extended Arts going $5 to $750 on their way up to the $10 or $12 price point that I claimed they would get to heading into the release of the Sliver King deck later this summer. We've also got Loshiel Clockwork Scholar. This is an old border version found in the Brothers War Commander decks going 275 to 450. Big player in white focused commander uh, artifact uh, heavy decks. We have Damning Verdict out of uh, Streets of New Capenna commander cards going 4 to 750. This is a Wrath of God that kills all the creatures that don't have counters on them. And I run it in the Counters Matters version of Atraxa, where it is often a one-sided sweeper. I mean, I, I like that uh, any Wrath where you can build to where you're immune to it. You know, Crux of Fate, you're playing something where all everybody else's stuff gets blown up and yours doesn't. It feels real good, I imagine, when you uh, destroy everybody else's creatures and then sit there smirking. Mind Over Matter was a card talked about uh, by you and I and also throughout the Discord as a combo piece that was also on the reserved list that combos with the One Ring because you tap the One Ring, draw a card, you can discard a card to untap the ring with Mind Over Matter, and then you tap it again and draw more cards, etc., etc. And people have gone after the card pretty hard as a result, pushing it from $40 to $75 or even higher depending on where you're looking. I would imagine this has to retrace as people realize that the price of this card that's been sitting in their binders forever has spiked hard and copies flood into the market via buy lists, etc. You know, uh, it's spiked to over $100 twice in its career before, and this is presumptive spiking. You know, people don't actually have the chance to assemble the combos, but I think, uh, you know, you and I are talking about this before the cast, I think that it will retrace down some it'll go back you know into 50 40 range but then when people actually get the one ring and they want to build the combo deck in person uh, i think it has a chance to uh, hit that height again the, the problem is which commander are you putting this combo into there's there's certainly brea builds brea builds and, and a bunch of other blue artifact focus builds that can make room for both and and if you're running Voltaic Key and Manifold Key and you can, or you're already running a bunch of artifacts that you can untap for value, then adding the One Ring isn't crazy at all. So I, I could see blue artifact builds finding a home for this. The question is how many of those are going to be in the top 20 most built commanders when we get to the, the point of release. I mean, at, at present, uh, you don't have a whole bun bunch of options. Over the last month, 
The only decks I can see this possibly being a factor for would be Shorakai, I guess, in, mm-hmm. the, in the top 20. That would and be And that's about it. There's There really isn't any much of an artifact focus. There's, there is Urtet in second currently. So if you wanted to, you could probably squeeze this combo into into your mirror deck build. Not too, not all that crazy. Yeah, um, I just I know that the combination of reserve list and uh, instantly draw your entire deck is something that uh, is going to bode well for this card financially. Sanctum Weaver foil foils out of Modern Horizons two three to nine dollars two hundred percent gains. That's going to be a Tom Bombadil spec for sure. Viridian Corruptor Foils out of Mirrodin Besieged, 5 to 16. That's EDH Poison decks driving that. And then a couple of more Bombadil specs. We have the War in Heaven Surge Foil and the first Tyrannic War. War in Heaven went $1.50 to 6. Tyrannic War went 2 to 18. This is people thinking that the Surge Foils of the Sagas are going to be in demand when people start building the Saga focused Tom Bombadil deck after Lord of the Rings makes its appearance in late June. Well, I mean, I, I wrote a whole article about this on Friday with many of the specs that would be good in a Tom the Bomb deck. And there's interactions with sagas and removing counters that are inordinately powerful. You get to repeat your level 3 effect, but keep your saga in play if you can remove a counter at instant speed. So they're they're looking for doing the amazing thing. And this is especially great if you've got Tom in play because you get to trigger his ability, but keep your saga, and then do it all over again. It's interesting because there's there's quite a few sagas that don't really fit in what this deck is likely to want to do. Um, I'm more convinced on things like Sanctum Weaver because they're just auto-includes in Enchantress-style decks and sure. have justified their presence in enchantment decks in EDH for ages. And so the four or five you know, mana generation related creatures or draw a card when an enchantment comes into play related cards are going to be for sure auto includes but in terms of the sagas themselves you do have to look at what it's going to do at what stage of the game and does it fit with everything else that's likely to happen in the build and so far i've only found five or ten sagas that seem like absolute auto includes things like the eldest reborn that one yeah yeah that one's pretty awesome Finishing up the list, we've got Undermountain Adventurer out of Commander Legends Battle for Baldur's Gate going a dollar of four dollars. That's going to be Legacy Spec Aspirations. Haven't seen a green version of the deck do big work yet, but I have seen people running the red-white version of the deck to some effect. So unclear whether uh, Adventurer is going to justify all the speculation lately. So far, it doesn't seem like it's proven its way through. On the Magic Online platform, we had three pretty big winners. We have Renin 6 from Modern Horizons 1, moving from 23 ticks to 32. That's Modern modern Legacy EDH, and I'm going to guess a relatively low drop rate uh, in prize packs. We've also got Show and Tell out of Urza's Saga, going 16 tickets to just over 24 for 50% gains. That's going to be Legacy usage as Legacy caught those bans recently, and there's been a bit of a shakeup. And Show and Tell is never really too far out of the meta given that it can drop massive creatures into play on turns one or two. And I would imagine there are people trying to show and tell in Atraxes these days to do nasty things. Rafine Scheming Seer continues a march upward. Got up to seven or eight ticks, I think, when we last looked at it. Now it's gone nine tickets to almost 15. Continuing its climb on the back of standard Esper Heroes play and 
underscores the conversation we had on an earlier cast where I was talking about how once a mythic starts to take off on the back of standard play on Magic Online, it often goes stratospheric. And as tempting it is as it is to take a double up, sometimes you should just stay put and wait for the five to ten times. If you sold out at doubling up, uh, you should feel good about that. I would not feel bad. I have done taken the double up many a time and seen it go further up and be like, ah, I got mine. Uh, I wouldn't feel, you know, too regretful about this. And uh, if you held, congratulations. And if you made a double up, uh, congratulations to you as well. I mean, the, the point here is that this may hit 30 or 40 or 50 tickets at some point if this deck continues to do well. Because every, everybody running it needs four copies. If it makes up 30% of the meta on any given weekend, you can see a big spike into this mythic. Uh, Streets of New Capenna, is that rotating in September? Uh, it's only a year old, right? So let's see. Right now, it is it is legal until the fourth quarter of this year. So it is going to rotate in September, October. Still, you got you got several months of potential climb before that happens again if you've had copies in the low single digits and you choose to get off anywhere on this exit ramp you're going to do fine it's just you know how greedy do you want to be moving on over to cards to watch i'm going to jump in with some wilhelt the rot cleaver related specs this is the fifth most built commander of the month on edh rec it is a blue black zombies commander and there's a couple of pretty obvious ones here. First, we have Necro Duality Foil Extended Art, which is a card I last called on cast November of 2021, so 16 months or so ago. And at the time, I, it was one of the cards that I flagged as you want this, you definitely want this card, but you want it to get lower. And at the time, it was like 40 or $50, and I was saying wait for it to get down to 25 or less. And it, in fact, it just kept going got all the way down to almost $10. But back in November, it started to rebound. And it rebounded regular copies, regular foils, foil extended art, and extended art are all now on upward trends as Wheel Health continues to get built. And there are, are a handful of other blue-black or blue-black X, which generally means Esper, zombie commanders that also make use uh, of both Wheel Health and Necro Duality. Necroduality foil extended arts are draining out. There is not big piles of them left sitting around on TCG Player. You can get them at around some copies at 12 or 13, but I'm going to officially make the call 14 to 30 inside three to nine months. With Wilhelt in the top five, it's in 16,000 decks on EDH Rec so far. There, It's one of those super unique effects like a doubling season that in the decks in question, it's just kind of an auto include where it's doubling up your zombies. And as a result, this is probably going to get a chance to breathe. You know, I don't expect it to see it, see it in uh, a secret layer anytime soon. I wouldn't expect it to see it in Commander Masters. It's all just too soon because the, you know, this release is not that old. So it's not impossible to see it this year, but I suspect within the next three to six months, you're going to get a chance for these to mature. And if you bought them at Lowe's, you're in a very good position. Would you so you like the the foil extended arts, not the double feature foils? I, I think you can look at either. I think that double feature foils have been largely forgotten by a lot of players, and so they are going to get missed pretty easily on platforms like TCG Player. I don't think they're I don't think you 
there's any reason in particular to ignore the double feature foils, but the foil extended arts are in a rebounding pattern. So we can already you. see them rising. And when we look at the inventory, we're down to 28 listings and there are no major walls. The The deepest wall I can find is three copies near mint. I mean, that's nothing. Yeah. And when I, when I get up over 20, I see Oko has copy, uh, one copy posted at 50 bucks. There's another pro trader <laughs> at 50 bucks. These are people looking to get their direct price point in the not too distant future. So, you know, the these copies that are sub 20 are not going to last forever. And once they're gone, as long as the Dodgers reprint for a little while, it's going to be a case where all versions of this card continue to rise. I agree with you. Uh, I have a zombie commander deck. Necro Duality is one of the base unfair things you can do in the deck. And uh, it's pretty amazing. It makes me uh, happy every time it's in play. I wouldn't argue with this at all. Uh, 14 to 30 puts it where the double feature foils are right now. I don't want to say what I bought my double feature foil Necro Duality for. And uh, this seems like a very solid pick i had no idea the foil extended arts were so cheap and if any of these are left in a week definitely won't be when i'm done with it this is a good pick i approve highly all right uh so what's your first selection this week uh my first pick this week uh, i mentioned in my article on friday that tom the bomb is going to set things up very nicely for everyone and a lot of sagas and saga accessories are going to be popular one of the things that is ready to pop i think is brilliant restoration out of kamigawa neon dynasty the showcase versions is what i'm picking but you could also talk me into the feas right now they're around three bucks for foils here in the u.s and uh once people want to get a bunch of their stuff back from the yard it's true brilliant restoration is seven mana but you will get a whole lot of bang for your buck because the sagas put themselves in the graveyard. You don't have to enable any kind of weird combo. You're just going to go off and get all the sagas back. And it's going to be a thing of beauty. So 3 to 10 is my official pick on these Brilliant Restorations. The only tricky thing about this in Tom is this is four white pips. I mean, you got to have a whole lot of five-color lands in play to make that easily work. I think that the deck will be base white and green. There's just too much good enchantment stuff to not be that way. Everything else is going to be accessory color. You'll get some like double black for things like Cruelty of Gix and uh, the the saga that destroys all non-artifact creatures. I don't remember the name of it. You're right, that is four pips, but it's four pips worth doing. I did just put this into a three-color deck, so I can't moan too loudly about the casting cost because i just threw it into zur the enchanter as a way to because sometimes you get like two or three auras onto zur and then they find a way to kill them or get them get them off the board or whatever and all of the enchantments fall off into the yard so a brilliant restoration in the late game is pretty sweet that said if you can afford it your first stop is replenish because that right. reserve list card does the same thing for four mana and only one white pip I'm not and, arguing that point at all. It's already at uh, kind of a high, high price point, though. Yes, yeah, true. It's not even remotely comparable on price. I do worry that this, because this came out last year and people are still cracking Neon Dynasty boxes for value, I don't know if we how cl- far along on the ramp we are here. We're down to 45 listings near mint foil on the showcases. There are multiple versions of the card. Something tells me that 
I don't think I think the four pips is going to prohibit this from being an auto include in Tom, and I wouldn't be surprised to see it in ten to twenty percent of the Tom decks, as opposed to say sixty to eighty percent. And as a result, I I don't think I'm a firm believer that Tom is going to move the needle on this. I do, however, think that time will eventually move the needle on this, but I think it's probably on a two year plus horizon. Okay, we'll uh, we'll see if people get uh, four pip greedy when they build their Tom decks. It's been on a like mild downtrend, but it kind of bounced in November and started heading back up. The thing to remember here is you don't necessarily need Tom to move the needle here from the perspective that this brings back artifacts and enchantments. So the artifact decks that have been getting built since Brothers War are already finding reason to run this, right? Like if you're running a Shorakai or a, a Brea and some of the, you know, Tameshi or something, you may already have a reason to be running this. How many decks on EDH Rec so far running this card? Uh, 24,000. That's pretty good stats for, for a year out from a release. So that that boys it. Maybe it doesn't matter if Tom Tom's involved. Worth keeping an eye on. Let's check back on this one, like, August and see where we're at. Fair enough. Finishing up my, my two picks, Will Help the Rock Cleaver himself, the extended art, Normally we say don't really go after commanders, and I think that that is definitely true if they're outside the top 10 or if they're in the top 5 or top 10 but look like they are a fading trend. Like, for instance, I don't think Urtet, Remnant of Memnarch, is going to stay in the top 10 for the rest of the year. I think he's going to be top 5 for a little while and then start to slide out. Whereas Atraxa, Lathril, Wilhelt, Ishin, Erdragon, Yuriko, Joda, these, these cards are persistently in the top 20 or top 10. Atrax has been number one forever and has been number one for the better part of three or four months here. Will Helt being pretty solidly in the top five over the last, I think, sixth in the past month and fourth in the past week means I think you can go after the extended arts at $8. The card is slowly draining out. If you take a look at copies uh, available on tcg player the extended arts don't have a whole ton and people may prefer them as a commander because they unlike the foils they don't bend whereas like the the default foil that you got in the deck is going to be quite the clamshell if we look at total available copies near mint non-foil you're talking about 30 listings left no huge walls. There is one longtime TCG vendor that has 14 copies. Everybody else is onesie twosie. And this has been heading up since early January when it was down at about $6. Now you can get them close to 8 I think 8 to 18 over the course of the next 12 months seems pretty likely here. How concerned are you by reprints coming, especially with a sheet of legendaries on the way? That's the only potential speed bump i see coming i don't see another spot where they're going to reprint something like this unless unless they spike a secret layer on you you never know i'd be like i could see a halloween secret layer potentially hitting a zombie commander that's not crazy but i don't think that this is going to be in the legend legendary creature bonus sheet for march of the machine because when they would have been constructing that set and making those selections well it would have been very fresh that would have been a card that had only been out for six months and they, they put it and they put out versions of it enough versions of it that i don't think it would have been on their radar 
Okay. That said, Ragavan is on that sheet, and he's not too much older than than Will Helt, so it's not impossible. What um have you do you have a zombie commander deck? No, I think I was gonna build the Esper. Yeah, um, Verena. Uh, I've got a Verena deck. Uh, Will Hilt's in there. He's pretty awesome. I like Verena just because um, you just want to. You don't mind dumping stuff in the graveyard, but that's a that's a personal choice to go Esper instead of blue black. White doesn't give you that much more. The main thing you get is some really good enchantment and artifact removal. I can I can see this. He's been popular enough. He gives you exactly what you want in a zombie deck where when uh, they kill everything, which inevitably happens, uh, you have an instant army backing you up, draws you a card every turn because you definitely don't mind your zombies dying. We're there. I'm surprised to see that he's, he's gotten this high and the, the EA was rare enough that here we go. I think that you're right. Um, some zombie uh, secret lair theme uh, we've gotten a couple of those already. Gravecrawler and uh, Liliana that cared about zombies got a reprint in the uh, the Monster Movie Madness one. So there's cool stuff around, and this is uh, I like it. You it makes my heart sing when you when you pick tribal cards, and uh, I honestly did the same thing this week. Okay, what's your final selection here? Speaking of zombies uh, and double feature and everything. Endless Ranks of the Dead, the uh, pre-release promo card for the Double Masters event. I'm sorry, the uh, Double Feature event. You can get Endless Ranks of the Dead for $3 on TCG Player. There are 25,000 or so zombie decks that run this. And this is your classic Commander Win More card, where on your upkeep you get 50% more zombies than you currently have. And that means you have to keep zombies in play, and once you drop this into play, they don't let you keep them in play. That's a separate issue. But the original foil, which has extraordinarily pretty uh, stained glass art, it's a shame that I can't get this on a playmat. That's going for $11, and the only this is the only other shiny version. And it looks cool in double feature foil, and it is just, uh, it's ready to go. There's a lot of copies in people's hands because there are... Uh, this was the the thing for stores to give away. Not pre-release. every store, yeah, it was a pre-release one. So there were copies left over, but we're chewing through it at a good enough rate, and it's a good enough card in the zombie decks that I think picking it up at three dollars is pretty solid to go to eight bucks sometime in the next twelve to eighteen months. If you tell me you're on a three to five year horizon with this card, and then I I think that's real solid. Your two dollars pr- probably becomes eight or ten on that horizon. But because the walls are like 20, 18, 12, 9, 19, etc. And that's a function of the fact that people... I don't think the double feature pre-releases were well attended. So a lot of vendors ended up with just a stack of these on the counter. Right. That they have then put into their TCG player inventory, etc. It's going to take some time for these to burn through. You do have an, an assist in the form of Wilhelt uh, helping you get through these. But it would be a lot better if it had been, say, a mythic out of double feature uh, as opposed to the pre-release. I-, I think you're right about it. I just think it's going to be a longer horizon than you're anticipating. I I don't think I am taking things on that long a horizon these days. The reprints are just too many, too frequent for me to feel good about thinking, oh yeah, three years, I'm in. Unless it's like some bulk rare price card. I mean, if that's your argument, then this is an extraordinarily risky selection. The, <laughs> b- because it it will eventually get some kind of reprint 
and this may or may not have appreciated in the interim. The, the problem with the the double feature cards is that they've been favored by speculators in the same way as surge foils, but it's not clear that players chase after them all that well. Like the endless ranks of the dead, this version in particular sells onesie twosie copies per day, which is fine for a premium card, but it's it's going to be it would need to be five to ten a day. If we, and if Wilhelm had just come out last week, then you know you might be thinking that the the spotlight being on Wilhelm and being on zombies would move a bunch of these quickly. But the speculators are not are not focused on this card, so the players are the ones moving the needle here. And at one two copies a day, again, I think it's it's going to be a longer hold. Do you think we're going to get a new zombie commander in Lord of the Rings? What was the uh, the undead ghost king? possibly but that could be a spirit yeah that could be a spirit yeah they might not do zombies we'll see but i i see what you're saying about uh, this particular pick zombies is not really a tribe in lord of the rings like we're gonna get a bunch of orcs great a yes. huge expansion of that tribe we'll get spirits it's possible that nazgul will be listed as spirits as well so i, I would imagine that esper spirits get some get some help here speaking of lord of the rings the day after we last talked about the One Ring, they g- did a stream where they revealed a whole bunch of stuff. So first, I guess we can take a look at the stats on the One Ring and the serialized Soul Rings. So yes, we know that there's one copy of the One Ring. You can only pull it out of uh, collector booster boxes, and you can only pull it out of English collector booster boxes. So for as long as it takes for the ring to be found, I would imagine that foreign collector booster boxes of this set are not going to be very popular <laughs> because they cannot yield this particular version of this, this most prized uh, chase card. Now, due to legal requirements, I'm not sure in which district of their reach, Wizards was forced to list on the package what the odds are of pulling the one ring. And the information that they provided was that the One Ring could had some extraordinarily low pull rate. Uh, less than 0.00003%. So it's basically like winning a lottery. Good luck with that. The thing about that is you can reverse engineer the number of packs that will exist from that stat. And so we know that there are going to be about 3.3 million collector booster packs, which is the equivalent of there being 278,000 collector booster boxes. And that means we can apply that same logic to how easy it is to pull the serialized and non-serialized soul rings. Because the other thing they revealed is that the rings of men, dwarves, and elves which were forged to be controlled by the One Ring in the Lord of the Rings lore. There was three elven rings, seven dwarven rings, and nine human rings in the lore. And so what Wizards is doing is they're releasing 300 of the serialized elven rings, which are basically just soul rings with unique art and elvish language on them. There are 700 of the serialized dwarven rings and 900 of the human rings. That makes 1,900 total. And including the one ring, you have 1,901 
premium chase cards. This is across 3.3 million packs, which gives you a 0.00057 chance to open one in a CB box. Uh, sorry, in one pack. If you're opening a full box of 12 packs, your odds are 1,901 out of 278,000, which is a 0.68% chance. And if you open a full case, you odds boost to 4.1% or a 1 in 25 chance. So you have a 4% chance to find a ring in a full case of Lord of the Rings collector boosters. And keep in mind that on Amazon, those are going for $440 a piece. So to be guaranteed one, assuming you were getting collector booster boxes at $400, your single case is going to be $2,400 or so via Amazon, via us, it's cheaper. And there'll be some other vendors that will be cheaper as well as we get closer to release, I'm, I'm sure. So multiply by 25 and you're going to get, you have to spend $60,000 to guarantee yourself a serialized soul <laughs> ring. <laughs> So people, so people were asking me what the these are going to go for. Put aside the one ring because that's you know that's a lottery ticket. The serialized soul rings are, I think, harder to pull than a mono Liliana was in a case of War of the Spark. I agree with that. In foil, not by a lot, but but harder. So the odds of pulling any of the any one of those, and keep in mind that even if you pull. Your, odd, your odds are in favor of, being, of it being a human ring. So starting with the human ring, what do I think that's worth? Probably something like 500 to 1,000. I would imagine the elvish rings will be 1,500 plus, and it's possible that, sorry, the dwarven rings will be $1,500 plus, and the elvish rings are probably something like $2,500 plus. Keep in mind that we saw something similar with the Hidetsugus in Neon Dynasty, and that was a virtually unplayable card. Everywhere but e- <laughs> everywhere but EDH, where it's fine. Like if your deck is a seven or an eight, you can run Hidetsugu and and make use of it. But I don't see a lot of it in in EDH play. Um, you know, I've played fifty games this year. I haven't seen a copy tabled against me in a long time. Right. And those were holding over fifteen hundred for the Reds at one point, uh, which later f- floated down. Soul Ring is a completely different animal. Soul Ring's the top card in the format. Yes, there's been a million versions of it, but we also have precedent that the Masterpiece version has held 1,000 or close to 800 to 1,000 for quite some time. And there were significantly more of those in the market. I think I we estimated at some point that there was probably 10 to 20,000 Masterpiece versions. Something like that. That sounds like the right number. So this is 10 times more rare, at least, for for any one version, any of these versions. So I think those numbers are probably pretty close to true, but we'll, it'll be interesting to see how the market reacts. Now, there are also 19,000 non-serialized rings, which you are much more likely to pull in your case. You have like a 6.8% chance to pull one in a single CB box, and if you get a full case, you are 41% to hit one, which is still not a guarantee. You still gotta get two and a half cases if you want to hit a Elvish Soul Ring. Yeah, and it's um, is it in the same rainbow foil treatment? Like double rainbow or whatever it is that they're they're calling it. It probably is, but without the serialization on it. Gotcha. You you should be happy if you even pull non serialized, let alone serialized, and right. you can forget about the one ring <laughs> because it's so so possible that the one ring thing will be gamed, right? Somebody in the factory that knows what's going on has every reason to be tracking where this ends up and try to send somebody after it. 
Do you think we'll even know who gets the ring? I think there's a good chance we will. But it's funny. One one of the really funny things here is that this could just be opened by some kid in a pack at Walmart, which he then drops on the floor in his mom's minivan, steps on it, dad picks it up, throws it in the trash, never seen again. Oh, I I would be so annoyed if they actually put this card in a regular booster and not like a voucher of some kind. Oh, they did though. They they didn't say it was a voucher. They said it's the card. Oh my god. But that... but it's no but it's no different. If it's a voucher, it's actually more likely to be lost in that circumstance. If it comes out looking looking fancy, the the guy has, you know, the kid has a reason to show it off to somebody. If it comes out as a thing with some text on it, they may not even read it. Yeah, but like you're going to open this and it's going to be damaged from uh somebody didn't package the the thing correctly and like it's going to have dings on it of some kind. That could happen. Like, oh, you, that you, oh, this, whoa. you can't you can't put armor or anything. Like you can't put a, make it a special pack because if it weighs anything different then everybody's just going to weigh all the packs. Yeah, you can't you can't do that. So, man, that is that is something. I I do wish they had done gold leaf on this. I would have gone with a different style for this. I think the art looks good. Card looks fine. It's not bad. But it, if it's me, I would have gone with a more classical, true to the cover art of the original books kind of thing. Like some okay. of the original North American paperback releases and had kind of an ancient feel to it. And I think I would have done the ring itself in gold leaf. Like if you're going to make a, what could potentially be a quarter million dollar card probably worth between a hundred thousand and two hundred fifty thousand dollars you might as well put some gold on there uh most expensive card was the uh the signed alpha lotus right went for like half a million or something crazy a couple weeks ago yeah at auction yeah because there's less than 10 perfect 10 rated alpha lotuses in existence right and then uh you know chris rush has passed away so we we don't get any more of those you know you can't crack it and then have him sign it and then uh re-slab it if you pulled it, this has been a question that's that I've, I've kicked around on uh, every one of my group chats when this came out. If I pulled it, I would hands down arrange for like some big auction for it. I realize they're going to take a cut of whatever the final number is. I've seen um, the posts online of like, I'll give two bitcoins to whoever like gets it to me. Uh, I just, I want it, I want it, I want it. I can't imagine not putting this up for auction. I would document it, get it in a bank vault. Then I would make a bunch of noise about it. Right. Making clear that it's in a bank vault. So my house is not assaulted immediately. Right. And then I would use the noise to get the message to people like Post Malone, the NFL player that plays uh, Magic and, and, and anybody else. Yeah, yeah, but there's also like some NFL players that play Magic that have oh, that right, own, right. Okay. That owns a, sh- a, a premium shop out west and some uh, other. Cassius Marsh, I believe his name is. That that's him. Yeah. So there's there's a bunch of people, and there's also just a bunch of private citizens in the Magic community that have big money. I would get the the word out. I would put a ridiculous price tag on it, and dare them to pay that price. So if Posty wants to pay me a million dollars for it, or whatever ex- excessive price tag I would put on it, cool. Maybe not a couple months, a couple weeks. And then if nobody tabled an offer that matched that, then I would put it out, put it up for auction. Okay. There you go, folks. That's the recipe. I think the important thing uh, is, as you mentioned, make sure everybody knows it is not on site. <laughs> you, you also 100% sell this. As, yeah. as someone who has 
owned a lot of expensive collectibles, it will not bring you the joy that matches the potentially life-changing amount of money that it will put in your family's hands. Yeah. If you can pay it, pay off your mortgage or buy a house or, you know, set up. Even buy a house here in the Bay. Yeah. Buy, buy a, you know. A mansion in Ohio or a two-bedroom condo in the Bay. Because these kind of things just sit in your vault. Like you have right. to, you, ha- you can't even keep them safely in your home. So it really is not going to bring anybody the level of joy <laughs> that, that justifies not selling it. Now, if you find this and you already have a ton of money, oh, then you can afford to sit on it for a while and watch it appreciate. Well, then you need the $25,000 brainstorm and now you're off with your five digit per card cube. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's where you're going from there. So, you know, it's pretty obvious what Wizards is doing here. They've cranked up the, the price of this set. They're justifying it with these chase cards. People are going to buy the set. It's going to be tougher to sell the set once the cards are found. But I wouldn't sleep on those serialized soul rings because it's possible that the real, the thing you're supposed to actually pay attention to with this set is copies of those posted under what they should be on eBay and Facebook and whatever on opening weekend. You snatch those off, and then the market settles a lot higher a month later. Do you think there's enough uh, Lord of the Rings collectors that they'll get in on this particular action? Like, the serialized versions are in... That's Elvish, right? That This writing yeah. that's... Okay. So, yeah. like, are there going to be enough people who are neck deep in the lore and love all things related to it? They've got a full set of the original... Uh, Lord of the Rings card games and whatnot. I would think that, like, Travis was making the point on Twitter that a real Lord of the Rings collector is focused on getting original copies of the book or something. Mm -hmm. Or maybe, like, props from the Peter Jackson movies. They probably aren't going to put a huge premium on this stuff. But I think that that doesn't matter so much because the the interlocking Venn diagrams are very tightly aligned on Magic players and people that like Lord of the Rings. So I don't think you have to. I don't think you have to be a Lord of the Rings collectibles specialist to decide that you want this. It's more that it's one of the first one. It's like the only one of one Magic has done in a long time. Previous ones were like the 1996 World Championship card, and there's also a dragon that's housed at one of the Asian uh, card companies in their lobby or something. Yeah, and then there's uh, stuff that's like 20, like um, the invitation cards to Richard Garfield's wedding and things like that. And the card, Splendid Genesis, I think is the card that was for his uh, kid's birth or something. Yeah. So it being Lord of the Rings is just gravy, right? Like they... This would have been a big deal if it was just a regular Magic IP, but adding in the One Ring and and how it dovetails well in terms of lore and the the collectible mechanic of there only being a single copy, like I think it was ballsy of them to go single copy, and I'm glad that they followed through on that because I'm sure there was somebody at the table that was like, nah, but wouldn't yeah. it be better? Like, wouldn't it? Wouldn't sales go better if there was more than one copy? And that's how they came up with the Elven, you know, the 1900 other things to chase. Well, uh, almost almost 21,000, I guess, including the non-serialized. Yeah. Uh, once um, once I have the full uh, spoiler for the set, um, I can double check these numbers and 
from here work out you know how many of the other things there are if there's approximately uh, this many collector boosters. Do you think uh, there's more collector? Like they they goose the heck out of the price. It's like nearly double. Do you think they goose the number of well, uh, collector boosters? But no, it's but it's not actually double. It's double versus a standard CB, but not versus a Modern Horizons two or double double Masters twenty twenty two CB, which we're going for two fifty to three hundred. Well, I mean, right now uh, the collector booster is only available at the super inflated Amazon price. You're right. Sorry, I'm I'm jumping to that particular conclusion. Our our uh, price for our price for our group buys is going to be closer to three hundred a unit. That's a pretty good price. Uh, that's why you should get in on a, a BN Pro Trader. But my my original question was, do you think that they have printed more or so probably less of this compared to a standard collector booster set? Correct. Um. No. I mean, we we could run some math on that, but I would imagine that. This all adds up to a project budget for Lord of the Rings of somewhere between 100 and 120 million, which is a pretty ambitious number and probably matches the MH2 release. So maybe slightly less units than with MH2, but at a higher price point to end up with a like re- relatively sim- similar revenue stream. All right. Uh, then the other thing to think about with, uh, with this is that I didn't really see uh, in Brothers War... Prices being depressed because of the presence of uh, the serialized artifacts. Do you think that opening the uh, Lord of the Lord of the Rings collector boosters, chasing the rings, uh, do you think that's going to lower the prices of basically everything else in the set that isn't a ring, a serialized? No, because the no, because the EV contribution is relatively minor. Okay, they're hard to pull, right? They are quite hard so, to pull. So let's say that the non-serialized soul rings are a hundred bucks or something. You you get one in a case, so the EV contribution you get point four in a case, so the EV contribution is forty dollars to a three thousand dollar case. <laughs> that, that, that's not going to suppress prices. That's true. <laughs> and the calculations for the serialized ones are even crazier, right? So yeah, I don't think it's going to have a huge impact. It's much. What matters more is how many modern playable cards come out of this set in the end? Because so far we haven't seen any, like a Ragavan. Yeah, we haven't seen anything to uh, blow modern away. The, uh, do you want to get into the other cards that were spoiled, or did you want to say things about uh, the the rings? Yeah, yeah, let's talk about the rest of this. So Tom Bombadil, we, we referenced a bunch of times. It's the five-color commander that you and I prophesized was likely in this set. It turns out it is a Saga-focused commander. It's a 4-4 legendary creature god bard. They're asserting here, for lore heads of Lord of the Rings, they're asserting here that Tom Bombadil is definitely a god, which is pretty cool. Um, As long as there are four or more lore counters among sagas you control, Tom Bombadil has hexproof and indestructible. Whenever the final chapter ability of a saga you control resolves, reveal cards from the top of your library until you reveal a saga card, put that card onto the battlefield, and the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. What's nice about this is it's not like a birthing pot effect where you have to ramp up from a lower casting cost to a higher. You can just find the next saga in your deck and put it into play. So this has, it's Shades of Joda. The Unifier has similar kind of, a similar kind of result where whenever you cast something, you're kind of getting two of 
Um, right. But instead of on cast, it's on the completion of a saga. It replaces itself with another saga, which is handy for keeping, t- say, two or three sagas on average in play to keep Tom hexproof and indestructible and keep the train rolling. If people can interrupt that, Tom gets pretty expensive to recast because he's going to be 5, 7, 9, 11, whereas somebody else's three casting cost commander goes 3, 5, 7, 9, etc. Yeah, but as I was saying before, I, I put a whole article together Friday about uh, great things you can do with Tom. Find that on mggprice.com. Yes. Uh, if you So the, the way it works is that when your third saga ability goes on the stack, you sacrifice it after that ability is done resolving. So you put your counter on, the ability goes on the stack, and then if in response to that ability going on the stack, you can remove a counter, you will no longer sacrifice it. And so you can keep these things in play, and then you're still going to get Tom's ability. So things like, in my article, I also mentioned Hall of Helion's Generosity. Uh, there's a you know a old border version you can get of that, and you can basically set up what saga you want to get next which is just broken right in half and i don't think it will be hard to keep a lot of counters on tom until somebody just um does like a cleansing nova just destroys all enchantments and then you're going to be a farewell or whatever he works really really well with the read ahead sagas because you get to put them on two or three counters right away um so it's easier to manage your counters on on to keep tom Hexproof and indestructible if you can read ahead. So I would imagine the best of the read ahead sagas are kind of top of the list for inclusion. They also showed us Samwise the Stouthearted, a f- uncommon 2-1 for one and a white flash. When Samwise enters, choose up to one target permanent card in your graveyard that was put there from the battlefield this turn, return it to your hand, not to play. Then the ring tempts you. There is a ring temptation mechanic that has yet to be revealed here. So very curious to see how that plays out as they reveal more cards. There is pretty clearly going to be a Shire halfling-related food sub-theme in this set. They showed us the Shire itself as a legendary land, enters the battlefield tapped unless you control a legendary creature. It taps to add green, and for one and a green, you can tap it and tap an untapped creature you control to create a food token. Probably I will try that out in Jota the Unifier where it replaces a, fo- a basic forest with basically no, basically no downside in that deck. Yeah. I'm curious whether we're going to get enough food stuff to make the Asmo decks go over the top in modern and start top eighting, because they're always kind of hovering around on the fringes. There's a bunch of different ways to build them, but you don't really see them in our top eight list very often. Yeah. Uh, or at least not since the summer of the MH2 release. They also showed us Mount Doom as a mythic land. Very notable that this is a mythic and not a rare. Tap, pay one life, add black or red. So it fits into a bunch of black red decks. For one black red, you can tap it to deal one damage to each opponent. I wish that was blue red, because then I could put it into Gearson and it would be extra hot. It would be pretty amazing, yeah. Five black red, sack Mount Doom, and a legendary artifact. Choose up to two creatures, then destroy the rest. Uh, that's really cool to have on a dual land, to have access to that. But it's much worse than it seems at first glance because having a legendary artifact in play is not that easy again this plays very nicely with the one ring because you may not want to be losing the life every turn at a certain point with the one ring if you don't have a combo set up to tap and untap it a bunch of times per turn and there are also other legendary 
artifacts that you may happen to have in your deck, but I think this is probably going to be relatively low inclusion count for EDH. Yeah, uh, I I would agree with you on that. It is nice that it's a dual land that comes into play untapped, but it it also like it it hurts you. It hurts you just like um, the cycle of uh, lands that sacrifice from play, right? To draw a card, uh, I can't yeah. think of the yeah, yeah. names of them. Nurture repeat land and whatever from M H one. Right. So we have those. Their inclusion rates are not great. This is this is just cool. I really like having this on a land. It's just that uh, you're going to trigger it you know two or three times over five years of playing your deck uh i got a question for you as somebody who uh has dealt in meme cards in the past you cannot pass the uh the gandalf versus the balrog it's the one white instant destroy target creature that blocked or was blocked by a legendary creature this turn auto include in joda right it just seems like a very good card to throw into a joda deck um but do you think like the things that have iconic moments of the cards will have like a premium on them or do you, there's just going to be so many that there's no point? Mm, tough to say. I mean this is definitely an iconic moment, but I'm not even sure I would run this in Jota. I mean uh, by default I'm running Swords Path. But <laughs> between white has gotten a lot of point removal options in the last few years so i don't think you cannot pass can even make it into the deck the thing about jody is nobody's blocking your creatures they're seven sevens eight eights nine nines ten tens nobody's blocking i either you, you either you've been wiped or you're you're attacking and no one's no one's stopping you <laughs> and and if they're blocking that creature was dying anyway we're gonna see some uh beasts and birds get a little nuts with uh radagast the the rare wizard who uh, is 3-5 for two and a blue, has ward one. Beasts and birds you control have ward one. And whenever you cast a spell with mana value five or greater, choose one, make a 3-3 green beast, or a 2-2 blue bird with flying. We'll have all kinds of fun themed decks with that. I can't wait to see what people build. So probably the biggest deal that was revealed is that some of the extra value from these boxes comes from them having a box topper, which can also... The cards from the list of those box toppers can also be found in collector booster packs. And it includes a bunch of reprints that are renamed to fit into the lore. So for instance, we know for a fact that the Great Henge, which I thought for sure would be in Commander Masters, is being put here for some reason. So the Party Tree is a box, box topper you can pull, and that puts the Great Henge back into play which means you should be selling your Great Henges now and then getting ready to buy them when these box toppers start to run low 6 to 12 months out. Your regular versions. I don't think I'd be rushing to sell foils. Uh, like uh, Regular foils I would probably sell. I don't think if you had any foil EAs around, I've, I've got two in different decks. I think I'm just going to hang on to them and feel free to, to buy up some more box topper versions. I've got a foil extended art Japanese that I had up for two forty or something, and I dropped the price by sixty bucks this week because I don't think it's gonna it's gonna sell in, until the market filters through the the new versions. But I almost immediately got a request yesterday to quote a price to ship it to Sweden. So I guess we'll I guess we'll see. They also showed us the bridge of Khazad Doom, which is where uh, Gandalf and the Balrog confronted each other. Uh, I would imagine this will be the go-to version of Ensnaring Bridge from here on out. Um, although the it would have been, I think that this art would have been a lot cooler if it showed that battle as opposed to just showing the empty bridge. 
<laughs> Creatures with power greater than the number of cards in your hand can't attack, of course. This card, there was a Sam Black-driven combo deck in Modern for a while that has since fallen out of fashion. The deck still exists and is playable, and, and in fact has gotten some new toys over the last couple of years, but you never see anybody play it. They also showed us Wasteland as Valley of Gorgoroth. All of this says to me that these box toppers are likely to be a pretty good list of cards and definitely will add some EV to the boxes and are more likely to have a draining effect on the rest of the boxes than the Soul Ring or the One Ring because these are present in every box and in Collector Boosters there are multiples present and so they are a healthy chunk of the EV in the same way that the uh, Zendikar Expeditions were for Zendikar Rising. Yeah, I'm looking forward to finding out like the exact distribution of these, how easy it'll be to get these, because uh, this this set is definitely packed with uh, some good stuff. I can't wait to uh, to get more information about it. It's only coming out in uh, June, so we don't have that much longer to wait for all of this too. But then we also have March of the Machine coming along in the meantime, and and March of the Machine aftermath, and aftermath. And six weeks after the Lord of the Rings is Commander Masters. That sounds about right. Oh, goodness me. Another summer where I have no money. So they also confirmed Lorian Brooch as Trailblazer's Boots. That is a two casting cost equipment that equipped creature has non-basic land walk. They showed us Aragorn and Arwen Wed. Four green white for a 3-6 Vigilance Human Elf Noble. Whenever it enters the battlefield or attacks, put a plus one, plus one counter on each other creature you control. You gain one life for each other creature. Cool. Uh, I might try that in Ginny Fey, although it's pretty high up the curve for what it does. Sauron the Lidless Eye, 4-4 four, four for 5. I think we talked about this when it was originally uh, leaked. Uh, enters the battlefield, gain control of target creature and opponent controls until end of turn. Untap it, it gains haste until end of turn. One black-red creatures you control get plus two, plus zero until end of turn, and each opponent loses two life. Three casting, three mana to pump into something to make opponents lose two life is not a bad ability. No, that's going to just drain the bejeebers out of a table real, real quick. I like it. Like you put a wound reflection on the table with that? Ooh. Uh, put, uh, let's see, there's nothing where you lose life, they lose life, you gain mana. Although there are ways to abuse that with something like um, one of the legendary Minotaur um, ones from War of the Spark, who's uh, who escapes me at the moment. But yeah, we'll uh, we'll find some fun combos with that. Uh, I really appreciate the um, four cards making a a larger piece of art that we have for the Frodo, Sauron's Bane, Samwise the Stouthearted, the Gollum, and the One Ring. To make that whole like pan, it's not a panorama because it's not four in a row; it's four in the square. It it'll and look good in the four sleeve binders, you know, the yeah. binders that have four cards at a time. That'll be really uh, cool. Here's the thing, though: don't get excited about the one ring being worth a lot of money. And I'm not talking about the one of one; I'm talking about the regular, the other versions of the card, because they're auto included in every gift bundle, and there's two kinds of gift bundles. So there's going to be, t- it's, it's basically like a pre-release card. Everybody's going to get a one ring. Yeah, if you want a one ring, you will get a one ring and it will not be so, difficult to So do they so. should be very cheap in the market. If it had been a broken ass modern card, like a Ragavan power level, then it might still have been able to, like demand might have been able to overwhelm the massive amount of automatic supply. But given that it's a medium quality 
EDH card, I would imagine that these are going to be cheap for a while. Uh, if this had been, what, uh, to be modern playable, it would have had to be two mana, right? It's probably playable in a combo deck in modern. Mm. But the but I there's no... If you look at the top 10 decks that we see every week in challenges and what have you, I can't think of any deck that would even remotely consider running this. Yeah, it's just a big price to pay, especially because you're going to lose a ton of life to your own draw effect. It just doesn't do the things that you want it to do. It does what it wants to do. That's the whole point of the One Ring. It will find its way back to its master. The thing it, the thing it's going to be used for in whatever combo deck runs it for is to give give you protection and then start to, start to cycle it so it comes into play every turn and gives you permanent protection. Mm, I like that. I can't wait to see what kind of uh, degenerate things we do with it. All right, so we should have more information about March of the Machine and or Lord of the Rings cards by uh, next week or the week after as they start to slowly uh, drip this stuff into the market. In the meantime, where can folks find you online, Cliff? You can find me online at Word of Commander or on my articles every Friday on mtgprice.com. And you folks can find me on Twitter at MGG Critic, as well as via my occasional articles on MGGPrice.com and my constant haunting of the Pro Trader Discord, a fantastic place uh, to hang out and talk shop with the rest of the Pro Traders. I also like to remind our listeners to check out the MGGPrice.com Pro Trader service for just $9.99 a month or $109.99 per year. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, low-cost group buys, and a super active Discord forum that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic of the Gathering. Once again, MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff, Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool, nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Please use the promo code FINANCE5, that's FINANCE with the number 5, during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. Oh, James, more previews, more previews. It never ends. I can't wait for the next week, too. Thank you, Cliff. Thank you, everybody. And we will see you next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance.